Well, good morning. Everybody good? Everybody worn out from Christmas mayhem? I got to tell you, it was encouraging for no other reason, many reasons, but one reason in particular, being in Mexico the past couple of weeks, you know, it's, it's, it is a society that doesn't have all the Christmas-like, you know, hoopla and stuff like that. So yeah, I feel, I feel a little um, happy about that, right? You know, because you, you come back and you feel like, man, it doesn't feel like Christmas because you start looking around. But man, it actually, it felt more like Christmas being in Mexico than it really does even here at times, seeing just what the, what the Lord is doing. Praise God. All right, I want to take just a moment um, and invite everyone back tonight at 5 p.m. We're having a Christmas service unlike probably any that you've ever been to in this place. It's going to be, there's going to be a choir, there's going to be a great Christian music, there's going to be a great kind of message, and it's just going to be really, really good, a great chance to bring your family and friends and whatnot, so I want to encourage you to get back at 5 p.m., and I'm going to make every effort today to wind up a little early, so you can get home and do whatever you need to do to get back at 5 p.m., now, if a preacher ever tells you he's going to get done early, that's a pretty much a good, um, a good statement of, of non-truth, right? But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make an effort at it. Amen. All right, let's pray for you. Lord. We love you and thank you, Father. I am so grateful to be standing, Lord, in this place, God, with with my family this morning, our our my brothers and sisters. That are in this place. So as I look over the room and see so many faces, so many I love so dearly, Lord. And God, thank you for what you're doing with us. And Lord, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to come right now. Lord, none of us got out of bed, endured the cold rain to walk into this place for just no reason at all. We're, we're here because there's a hunger in all of us to hear from you, to hear from you. That's what we want to do, Lord. So Father, I ask you, Lord, to somehow... Use my voice to convey your heart today. Lord, take these few little things that I have written down, use them, amplify them, close them, whatever you need to do, Lord, to bring what you're saying to all of us in this moment in time. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful that you saved us and redeemed us. And it is appropriate even in this season. Yes, Lord, we admit we, we got the date wrong on this. We we got so many things wrong about so many of our, so many of our Christian traditions that are, that are not really altogether accurate and rooted correctly. But, Lord, you redeem all things. Lord, you redeem all things. So it is so appropriate that we carve out a season of time and we celebrate, Lord, what you've done. So we fix our eyes on you in this moment, Jesus. Let us see you today like we never have before, fresh and anew. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I tell you, I, I stand before you at the conclusion of 2019 Earth Time, you know, 2019 Earth Time, and it has been a remarkable year for me personally. It really has. I am uh, both, both um, stunned and stirred by what all the Lord has done this past year. Stunned and stirred. He has touched. He has ministered. He has, he has taken me to some inward places in him that I have not known in my entire Christian life, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, the Father is no real respecter of persons, and he is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. And I pray as, as, as we conclude this year, there would be such a hunger in all of us to understand there is so much more that God has for each and every one of us. The story of Christmas itself 
The truth of it is, it is when God reveals himself to us as the first missionary. Think about that. God himself became the first missionary. This is both profoundly stunning and stirring about when we see what God has done. When the infinite becomes an infant. Think about that for a second. When the infinite God, the uncreated God becomes an infant. Is that not stunning? It's appropriate for us just to, just to take a moment this morning and be stunned by the reality of what God has done. John 1:14 gives us this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I just want you to just, just step back for a moment and allow yourself to be stunned by the reality of what just happened. Now, Jeff had no idea what I was going to share this morning, but he talked about a divine strategy that existed within the Godhead before time as we understand it now, that existed. What God did in sending his son was not a reaction to sin, to sin. It was not even a response to sin. It was something that God had crafted even before time of events that would unfold themselves. This is what God has done. So be, be stunned by the story for a second. You can't approach your Bible and not realize that even with Adam and Eve themselves, after the sin, we find the seed of this story existing when it is declared over, over Eve that the, that the serpent would bruise her heel, but ultimately what? She would crush the seed of the enemy in that very place. God is revealing his story right out of the gate. We find that God called this man named Abram out of Ur even before Israel existed, even before the covenant, even before circumcision, that God reveals to Abram that every nation in the earth is going to be blessed through your seed. Every nation, what does that mean? Not just Israeli exclusivity or Hebrew exclusivity. Every single one of us, every nation that would exist is going to be blessed through the very seed of Abraham. That God puts it there. Eve is crushing the seed. Abraham is carrying the seed of what is going to redeem all of humanity. And not just that, in the, in the life of Abraham, we find out the mechanism by which this salvation is going to be entered into. It tells us in Genesis 15, 6 that Abraham, what, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So even before the law, even before all these things happen, we find out that God is bringing a story through the seed of Abraham, and the mechanism by which we enter in and receive the redemption of God is by faith and not the law. That's stunning. Before anything ever happens related to the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law, we find it birthed inside of Abraham. The Bible goes on and we begin to learn that God is going to establish in the line of King David a dynasty by which his son would inherit and he would rule the earth and everything. And he would become what is called the lion of the what? The tribe of Judah. That when Jesus came, there was going to be a roar that would overshadow and overarch every other voice on the planet. That the Son of God becomes this great lion of the tribe of Judah. Isn't that incredible? 
We get through David and we, and we begin to get into the prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel and so many and Malachi and Micah and others that begin to prophetically tell us of the prophets, this strategy of God, what, what he is getting ready to do hundreds, even thousands of years before the manger, God is speaking. One such verse in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We see the resume of, of, of who is coming when the virgin becomes a child. Be stunned by that for a moment, what God is speaking. And then we enter into the New Testament and we see an angel in the Holy Spirit gently moving on a young virgin where she showed faith and obedience. You know, I'm probably the only one in the room that really didn't know this, so I'll confess my biblical ignorance for a moment. But as I was reading through the passage in Luke chapter 1 and reading of the, of the encounter between the angel and Mary, I, I was always reading it through the lens that the angel had come to Mary and was announcing something that had already been done. And I wasn't paying attention to the verb tenses in that passage. I was always thinking, the angel said, hey, Mary, guess what? This, is, this has already happened to you, so guess what? This is good. You know, that's not what happened, right? When you read the passage, the verb tenses all throughout Luke 1 through 30 and verse 38. Read that for yourself. But you begin to find out that, that everything had not, been, had not happened yet. These things will happen. They're going to happen. They shall happen. And it wasn't until this young teenage girl said, so let it be, have your way, that she gave permission to God to come and do what he did inside of her. Man, what does that tell us even about our own lives? It tells us something about the invitational nature of what God is doing, doesn't it? He doesn't come and rough ride over any single one of us, does he? He's not a demonic spirit that comes and possesses us. He is a Holy Spirit that comes and fills us. And these are entirely two different things. The Holy Spirit is not a demon. The Holy Spirit is God. And God comes into us when we accept his entrance into our life. It's all by faith and obedience. Mary, by faith, with an obedient heart, said yes to the work of the Holy Spirit. And the uncreated God was put inside of her womb. That's fantastic. Do you realize every one of us stand before God with such invitations for us to say yes to what he is doing? The opportunity he unfolds to us to not only receive him, but to walk in the plans and purposes that he has for us. But he is not going to manhandle you and force you into anything. He is going to invite you into what he is doing. I wonder if he has your yes. He has my yes. Beautiful Mary. Then we see this beautiful thing happen when in the opening chapter of the book of Genesis begins to coalesce with John chapter 1 into divine harmony and purpose. You remember the opening verse in Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1, in the beginning, what? The Word became flesh. In other words, these two chapters in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, book themselves in together, and it tells the entire story that God created everything. Do you realize that? God created everything. The heavens declare his glory and the earth his handiwork. As we get smarter and smarter in science and astrophysics and quantum mechanics, the farther we are able to look out into the universe, it declares even more and more 
what God has done. You cannot look at photos from the Hubble Space Telescope and not realize, oh my goodness, this is much bigger than we ever thought. You can't look in an electron microscope at the subatomic level and see the imprint of what God has done. The heavens declare his glory and the earth his handiwork. And any reasonable scientist worth his salt can see that when he sees it. This is who God is. The divine story beginning in Genesis 1 that God created everything for a purpose. The divine story is this, in order that the word would become flesh and to dwell among us. The divine story is simply this, from Genesis to Revelation, is that God is going to have a people that authentically chose him in love. That's what it's all about. Genesis to Revelation, I like to say it this way, Genesis to Revelation can be simply summed up in this phrase, God the wedding planner. We've seen the movie. There's a greater movie. There's a greater book. Genesis to Revelation, God, the wedding planner. From before time existed, it was in the heart of God to have a people that would authentically choose him and would ultimately become a bride for his son. And the whole message of the Bible, all 66 books written by a multitude of authors over a 1,500-year period that synthesize and coalesce together in prophetic harmony declares this story, that God will have a people that were redeemed for his own purposes to show for his glory. And we are able to enter into that by faith and become that people. That is stunning, brothers and sisters, that what God has done from the beginning of time up until now, he's unfolding his story. He will have his bride. He will have his people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. More on that in just a moment. You know, another stunning aspect of this story to me is that, that, that God himself subjected himself to becoming human in order to suffer and die to become a high priest who understands our weaknesses. Now think about that for a second. We like to talk about here that we want to send missionaries to the hardest and darkest places on the planet. Can you imagine a more hard or dark place than the womb of a little teenage girl? That God himself becoming the first missionary, putting himself, think about this for a second, putting himself in an amniotic sack. Now, I don't want to describe to you what an amniotic fluid sack contains, but it is full of some not so good stuff at the end of nine months of pregnancy. You think a manger was dirty. He was, he was in he was in a bath of, of fecal matter. This is God. Think about that for a second. Take the halos off of Jesus and the angels buzzing around. This is the God of the universe that put himself in an amniotic fluid sack. And then to add insult to injury, who would be born and placed in a barn, a trough? Has anyone ever been on a farm? Do you understand what a horse trough looks like? I was raised on some land, and there was horses and animals, and, and I know what a trough looks like. It's really not a nice little crib from Babies R Us. This is a dirty thing. God himself going to the hardest and darkest places on the planet. Why? Because he is here to redeem us and to demonstrate to us he is not a distant God. There's no other religion on the planet that gives any form of account where God became flesh. It's always God at a distance, that God is far away. And here are these laws that we must keep in perpetuity to please this deity somewhere else. 
That's what it's all about. It enslaves people. Every other religion on the planet enslaves people. But God himself sets people free. Not only that, he seeks to empathize and have compassion upon us. Think about this for a second. Jesus, not only did he go into an amniotic sac, not only was he born in a stable, the Bible teaches us that God himself in Jesus went through every temptation that we ever face. He went through hunger. He went through pain. He went through a multitude of every tempting thought you have ever had, Jesus had. Now, why would he do that? Why would Jesus go the extra mile to do that? Ever thought about that for a second? Could not Jesus, the perfect son of God, have been born and declared the kingdom and then died and be resurrected without having to endure such temptation? Why? I mean, he could have done that and still redeemed humanity by his perfect blood. Could he not? Been the perfect sacrifice. But he took the next step, didn't he? He allowed himself over a period of 33 years. I wonder sometimes, why did Jesus not do all this when he was like 15 years old? Why did he wait until he was 30? What was the purpose of God awaiting you at 30? Lots of probably Hebraic reasons and whatnot. But I think one of the reasons is that he put himself in a position to experience and face every temptation that we're going to face. In order that when we come to this great high priest, Hebrew te- the book of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who understands what we are going through. Who actually feels it and is sympathetic. That when we come to him, we find grace in times of need. That amazing to me? What Jesus did through his 33 years on this planet, not only dying for our sins, but experiencing everything he experienced that we can approach a throne of grace that's called grace for a reason. Not a God who doesn't understand, but a God who actually understands every prayer request before you pray it. Every, every moment of agony and suffering with temptation, Jesus says, I get it. I understand. I love you. Guess what I have for you? Grace. And where sin is abounding, grace is there to abound even more and more. Just to take that extra step that he would understand me when I talk to him. There wouldn't be a disconnect. That's beautiful, isn't it? Not only that, but Isaiah 9 told us that he would, he would be a, a wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. Boy, we live in a society, don't we, that everybody, everybody wants to go see the counselor. Everybody wants to see the psychiatrist. Everybody wants to see the psychologist. I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but can I tell you what? There is a psychologist. There is a psychiatrist. There is a counselor. And the great adjective is he's a wonderful one. He is Jesus by the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He told something to the, to the disciples that they really couldn't understand. He said, it's better that I'm, I'm actually getting ready to go away because I'm, I'm going to send someone to you. And, and you're going to need him. He is going to be power. He is going to be your helper. He is going to be your counselor. And I've lived long enough that I need good counseling. How many of you need a good counselor in your life? I want to recommend a good counselor to you. His name is Holy Spirit. He's a great counselor. He's a great advisor. He's the one who leads you and speaks to you and talks to you. And I appreciate all that are in the counseling and psychiatric and psychology fields and whatnot. But let me just encourage you, brothers and sisters, before you pick up that phone call, before you get that referral, let me recommend to you first the wonderful counselor. 
because you might find some encounters with him and listen to him may actually change everything before you go to somebody else. Should we give the Holy Spirit a try first? Because he is the wonderful counselor. I'm so grateful in my own life, I got to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit one week after I was born again. I was saved on a Thursday, right? Born again. The Holy Spirit brought me and baptized me into salvation. One week later, he filled me with the Holy Spirit. You see, there's a difference in these two things, you see. The Holy Spirit will baptize you into salvation, but he's also come to fill you up. And I'll never forget the occasion I was sitting on this white sofa at somebody's house. I'd been saved one week. I was like 13 years old. I didn't know any biblical lingo. I just knew I was born again and saved. I was sitting on the sofa, and these two ladies walk up to me. And they said, would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I didn't know what that meant. You might as well have been speaking Japanese. I didn't know what it meant. But I trusted these two ladies. I said, sure, I, I, I guess so. And I want to give you the very simple instructions that they gave me that day when I began to experience this wonderful counselor in the person of the Holy Spirit. This is what they said. They said, raise up your hands and ask Jesus to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now understand, most of us in this room have a good understanding with, with, with what all that means. I'd had no grid, no understanding. I had maybe only read Ephesians 1 and 2 in that one week of being saved. That's all I knew. But I just did it. I said, okay, Jesus. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. That's, that was my prayer. And then as I began to pray that, and then they gave me some really weird instructions. Ready for this? They said, I want, they said, just begin to pray, but don't pray in English. Now that um, was challenging for me because the only language I knew was English and maybe a little bit of pig Latin. So I was trying to think, all right, so I, I can't pray in English and it probably wouldn't be appropriate to pray in pig Latin if you all want to know what that is. And I remember looking at the lady and I said, what, okay, uh, what, what do you want me to say? And this was the very simple instructions that she gave me. She said, just lift your hands and just begin praying. But don't pray in English. Just begin to open your mouth like a little baby learns to talk. And as you begin to do that, God's going to give you a spiritual language. And he's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I said, all right, so let it be. Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I prayed that. And I just began to open my mouth and it sounded a little bit weird and strange coming out. But I'll tell you what. Something happened. There's an old hymn that says, heaven came down and glory filled my soul, right? Something happened sitting on that white sofa that the wonderful counselor, the Holy Spirit, the one that Jesus said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send him and you're going to need him. And I experienced him in a powerful way sitting on that sofa as I heard myself praying in a language I had never heard before. God himself filled me with his spirit and forever irrevocably changing my life. So I stand before you as somebody in a one week span of time entered and encountered the Jesus who redeems and also the Jesus who fills. And he's still doing it. And Isaiah caught a prophetic glimpse of it when he said, oh, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. And he's not just going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, but he's going to lead you. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And it's the person of the Holy Spirit that takes the words off of the page and it becomes a compass in our hands and leads us in this life. We need the Holy Spirit. Do you need him? We need him. We need him. We need him. Hallelujah. This is what God does. We are stunned when we see this all beautiful story encapsulated. But it's not enough to just be stern or stunned by it. We need to be stirred by it as well. 
We can be stunned by something, but it doesn't affect how we live. So getting the revelation of something doesn't necessarily mean you're going to walk in obedience to it, right? We all want transformation, but what takes revelation to transformation is obedience. Think about it for a second. We can have all kind of revelation about certain things and what God is saying, but when there's no obedience, there's no transformation. So God will reveal things to us, and then we can say, okay, Lord, I hear what you're saying. Now I need to obey what you're saying. How difficult was it for Mary in that moment to walk in faith and obedience? And the implications and the ramifications of what she was saying yes to were profound, were they not? To be pregnant in a time when it wasn't popular to be pregnant and not be married. But she said yes to that. She began to walk in obedience, and her life would be transformed because we must be stirred to action. But stirred unto what end? The first thing is we stand here at the close of 2019, I find myself, Lord, I want to pursue you and you alone. I recognize, Lord, my, my, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. And Lord, I, I want a greater hunger for you. I want to pursue you, Lord. I want to pursue you alone because you alone have the words of life for me. Do you realize on the occasion, Jesus, you know, Jesus was never trying to accrue a large following. You got that, right? He was not here to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie would not have spoken much life to Jesus. That's not what he was here to do. In fact, you could probably make the case that Jesus was really winnowing the crowd more than he was trying to get it bigger and bigger. He was always doing that because he was, he, was, he was approaching his people with this knockout punch. I mean, Jesus in the spirit, I think, was like a boxer. You know why I say that? Because it says that, that he came in what? Grace and truth. It is the one-two punch of the ministry of Jesus and the one-two punch for all of us when we share the gospel of Jesus. You need the one-two punch. We need to give a testimony of grace, of the grace of God and the goodness of God. That's so important, but we can't leave it right there, right? There's also truth. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's truth in that, right? In other words, we need to do the one, two. Come and follow me, right? Come and follow me. Yeah, Jesus, sign me up to follow you. Oh, but they're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. You're going to suffer for my name's sake. Hallelujah for a Christmas message on December 22nd. We're going to suffer for the name of Jesus. But he told them he brought grace and he brought truth. If we don't bring grace and truth, we are not presenting an adequate gospel to people. And it winnows people out. And it scares some people. Paul would say it this way. To some people, it's the aroma of life. To others, it is the stench of death. It's going to bring people to a decision. It's easy to, man to manipulate people into a decision for faith by only presenting grace and not truth. We can manipulate people into praying some little prayer because we just preached a gospel on grace alone, but we didn't speak truth. On one occasion, Jesus was doing this, and many, many walked away, and Jesus would turn to his few disciples and said, aren't you going to leave too? And what did Peter say? Jesus, there's nowhere, there's nowhere left to go. You alone have the words of life. Maybe you've lived in this world long enough to find that statement to be so true. Many of you have had testimonies, and you've been to places You've done the things. 
You've drank deeply of what the world offered, and you have experientially found out it doesn't take you anywhere, does it? Drugs and money and success. We stand before Jesus even this morning and say, Jesus, you alone have the words of life. You alone am I going to, are you, are you there yet? Are you ready to stand before Jesus as 2020, the year of vision, hits you? And say, you alone, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. Because I've realized something in life, it's only your no's that validate your yeses. It's only your no's that validate your yeses. It's not very effective for me to stand up and say, I do, in front of the woman I'm going to be married to, unless I say, I don't, to every other woman on the planet. What validates my I do is my I don'ts. The problem is if we preach a gospel that's only grace-centered and not truth-centered, we're going to preach of I, I do, and maybe, you know, we don't worry about the I don'ts. It's I don'ts that make it valid for us. He alone has the words to eternal life. It's okay to say I don't to stuff because we've said I do to him. And he's far better. He's far better. We must pursue him for he alone has the words of eternal life. We must represent him well. We must be stirred to not only pursue him, but we must be stirred to represent him well. Let me just tell you something. It's not always about representing the Lord, but perhaps in the culture in which we live, we need to represent him, not just represent him. There's a call to represent him well. There's also a call to represent him well. As true ambassadors of Jesus in the world today, we need to represent the Lord because many people have gotten a bad taste because religion and the spirit of religion has propagated itself through so many contexts, hasn't it? We need to represent what it means to be a New Testament believer that's grounded in the authority of God's word, that's filled with the Holy Spirit, that's walking out of a place of brokenness and contrition before a people who so desperately need to hear what we have to say. This is what God has called us to, to represent him and to represent him well and just how we live and we must live in this place as, as dead people, yet fully alive. This is truth and grace and grace and truth. You know, it is to live alive but yet dead at the same time. We're called to do that, right? We're called to experience life abundantly, but that life abundant originates and sources itself out of a place of death. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20 is what it's all about. We live from a place of dying to the flesh in order that we can live in the Spirit, that Christ would be formed inside of us. Just as that young Mary received Jesus into her womb and he in physicality grew up inside of her, so spiritually Jesus is growing up inside of you. And you need to let him grow up. You need to let Jesus stand up inside of you by the Spirit and stand up in full stature in him. That's what it means. That's what it means to grow, to live as dead yet fully alive. But sometimes we don't want the dead part. I get it. It's painful. It's difficult. Romans 12 says that we're to offer our bodies as what? Living sacrifices. This is our, this is our spiritual act of worship. 
This is the, 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 the hinge by which all transformation takes place. We love to cling to the verses under that and talk about knowing the perfect and good and pleasing will of God, knowing that our thoughts can be renewed and transformed. But it all hinges on are we offering our bodies as living sacrifices? Some great preacher once said, you know, we used to think of sacrifices as dead, but you know, living sacrifice, it's kind of painful to stay on the, it's kind of painful to stay on the grill. It it hurts, right? So we die daily in order that Christ is formed in us and we live anew in him. And lest we forget it, it's worth it. (laughs) It's so worth it because his loving kindness is better than life. Amen. And when you begin to taste and see the Lord is good, you're going to want more and more and more of him. And you're going to realize what Paul says is true, that we are at this battle in Galatians 5 between the, between the spirit and, and between the flesh. And they are at enmity with each other. And, and there's no compromise. You can't enter into diplomatic relationships between these two intractable enemies because the flesh sets itself against the spirit and the spirit is against the flesh. And therefore, the only way we can live this life is in the Holy Spirit. And we need to have the wonderful counselor to live dead but yet fully alive. We should be stirred to pursue him. We should be stirred to to represent and represent him well. And lastly, we need to tell others the good news of Jesus. Many of you are going to be around a lot of family members, right, over the next week or so perhaps. Some really need to hear what we need to say to them, to tell them the good news of Jesus. My wife and I, I'm so blessed to be married to uh, an incredible woman. She is like a woman of great faith. And she said this year for Thanksgiving, honey, I want to do something different. And I've learned over time. I put up a little resistance, but it's all worthless because I'm going to ultimately do what she says. A wise person once said, you know, you learn in marriage at times where you learn to, where, where you get in these arguments with your wife. Husbands, you might understand this really well if you're married. You're going to get in these arguments with your, with your wife at times. And, 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 and you're going to get angry, and she's going to get angry, and you're going to get all huffy and blown up. But you know the end result's going to be? You're going to end up doing what she said anyway. So why put yourself through the unnecessary blood pressure and face turning red and walking out and getting mad? Just, just say yes. Right? Just say yes to her. Listen, guys, listen, I'm telling you, your wife is 99.9% almost all the time. Now, I'm going to hold on to the 0.1% every now and then. Every now and then. But by and large, they're just, they're just right most of the time. So she said, I want to do this this I want, to, I want to do this this year, honey. When we get together for Thanksgiving, we're going to have all the kids together. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray two weeks before Thanksgiving for each of our kids and grandkids. And let's get a prophetic word in Scripture for each of them that we're going to share on Thanksgiving with all of them together. And we're going to pray over them and bless them. Now, you would think of the homeward preacher, that would just be common sense, that we do that every, like every Thursday at our house. We get words of prophecy for all of our kids, and we, and we, and we, and we disseminate that out weekly. But I know when I heard that, her said, honey, that's just not going to work. I just, just, these are just, you know, I just was such a humbug about it. But I said, yes, we, we will do that. So all that whole week, we were like praying and we were fasting. We were getting specific words for, for our kids and the grandkids. And we gathered on Thanksgiving that evening. We did that. We just shared the word with them. And it was so powerful. But it's so awkward with family, isn't it? Isn't family awkward? Come on. It's just awkward. To do anything spiritual with family feels like, you know, fingernails on a chalkboard it's just awkward but listen God has chosen you and he has appointed you to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth not in exclusion to your own family 
try it out, man. I sit there on my knees and I begin to pick up the paper. And I'm a preacher. I do this for a living. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I was trying to read scripture and promise over all the kids and in-laws and grandkids. It was just painful. But man, we just watched the Lord just, just do something beautiful in just that short amount of time. Listen, don't underestimate who's inside of you. Don't underestimate how he might want to use you, even most awkward moments when you're gathered around the Christmas ham. Let's eat the ham, but let's talk about the lamb before we eat the ham. <laughs> and let me give you some words. I mean, listen, let God use you in a powerful way. Don't underestimate how he might want to use you. We, we need to share this good news at home and abroad. So just literally um, less than a week ago, Matthew, do you have the picture? Less than a week ago, um, we were visiting my son, Matthew, and I, our mission base in um, Mexico, in Motomoros, Mexico. And part of the trip, I won't give you all the details of the trip, but I just want to highlight one particular place where we went. It was in a rainforest that was about 20 hours from the mission base in Matamoros. And now understand, we're traveling to an indigenous people group that lived up in the mountains. These are what is remained of the tribe known as the Inca, if you've ever heard of the Inca in school. Generations and generations and generations. It was a difficult trip. It was a hard trip. So we, we, we went to this place, and it took forever to get there, right? Now, what you are looking at is a foundation that's been dug, and you see people sitting around the side. Those are the walls that have been constructed to build the house of prayer right there. Now, we were not even going to have this service. This service right here was not even planned, all right? We, are, we have just arrived, basically. We're trying to unload some things and get sort of set up. Well, people just begin to gather, right? They begin to gather, and they begin to all sit around. And Romans says, hey, let's, 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 let's preach to them right now. Now, understand who you're looking at are people who've never heard the gospel of Jesus, right? They may have heard some little things, but they have never heard the gospel presented. I said, oh, man, let's, let's do it. So I get up there, and, and, and people begin to gather even more people began to come about, 60 people gathered in that place. And I, for about 30 minutes, preached the gospel from Genesis to Revelation, talked about sin and brought them all the way to the second coming and all the jelly in the middle, right? Broke it all down for them, preaching Jesus for the first time. And they were wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, right? <laughs> Listening intently to what God was saying. And at the conclusion, over half of them gave their life to Jesus. Come on, listen, we saw God do an incredible thing in that moment. These people who've never heard the gospel were receiving the gospel and God was putting it inside of them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, we need to be a people who are stirred to share the good news of the gospel. But here's the reality. If I can travel all the way to the hardest and darkest places in Mexico, and I can't kneel before my own sons and daughters and grandkids and share the gospel, there's something bad wrong inside of my heart. Amen? This gospel works there, and it works with your children and your grandkids. So I encourage you this Christmas, as you are gathered with friends and family, you don't have to make it a sermon. You don't have to borrow the pulpit and take it home and put it in the living room. You don't have to break out the big King James Bible that weighs 50 pounds. You don't have to do that. But take a moment and share with them about Jesus. Look into each of their eyes and speak to them what you hear the Holy Spirit saying to them. Is it going to be awkward? Oh, yeah. It's going to be painful. But watch God do something profoundly powerful in it. 
And it's so good and so awesome. Amen? Can I invite you to stand as we get ready to pray and the worship team comes? Thank you, Lord. Here's the question. Here's the question. Does he have your yes? Does he, does he have your yes? I think the way we should live as believers is with a pre-existing condition called yes. Lord, you, you, you have my yes. With no strings attached, with no conditions. And that's something that we all can do. Because that yes is purely by faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's saying yes to God before he gives you any clarity. It's the yes that comes through faith that will give you the courage to walk out the clarity when he gives it to you. We can't operate in faith and have a dependency on clarity. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. All of us in the room, the Lord is, is inviting us into a journey with him and not for him. That God is doing a work in the day, and, and I recognize as I was standing in the Wasteka, and I was watching these people get saved, I, I recognize that, Lord, it is true that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You are going to have a representative from every tongue, every tribe, and nation. You're going to have him. He's going to do it with us, or he's going to do it without me. But he's going to do it. But he's inviting all of us to come alongside him and what he is doing. And from that place is great grace. So as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed for a moment, as we are posturing our hearts to get ready for everything that's going to happen over the next few days, there's some people in the room that's going to travel. Some's going to stay here. Some's going to be experiencing great joy because their daughters and their sons and daughters are maybe even pregnant with a child. The first grandbabies are coming. I know just lots of stories, lots of excitement in this season. There's some people facing the season, and it brings up loss, lost loved ones, people that you love and miss, and difficulty and hardship. Wherever we find ourselves today, wherever we find out, we stand and we look at the goodness of God, and we never put God on trial in the courtroom of our circumstance. Never put God on trial in the courtroom of your circumstance. It is his will for all of us to give thanks to him for everything. So if you're blessed and highly favored and you're feeling it, thank him for it. If you're struggling and difficulty, thank him for it. Thank you, Lord, for the, thank you for the situation, Lord. Let our heart posture be yes before you, Father. Seasons change and seasons go Sometimes you're eating filet mignon and sometimes you're just eking through with beans and that's it. But God is still good because we are the redeemed of the Lord and we say so. So if he has your yes right now, if he has your yes without any pre-existing condition, without anything that you're going to say, Lord, you have my yes, I, I, I will pursue you. I will represent you well. And I, I will be stirred to share the good news. Even the most awkward places with my own family or the hardest and darkest places, wherever it is, God, I'll do it. Just put your hand up.
Just raise your hand and say, Lord, you have my yes. Now, if you have one hand up, just put your other hand up with it as a sign of surrender because you can't do it without the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor. With the grace of God, come Holy Spirit. Right now, come Holy Spirit. We worship you. I thank you, God, for your sons and daughters that are in this room right now. I pray that, God, we would hear both truth and grace and grace and truth. They would march together through our hearts and our lives. And, God, we would be found a people who are so in love with you that nothing else matters, that truly the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. So come, Holy Spirit, fill everyone right now in this place. Let our hearts be stunned and let us be motivated and stirred to walking out the great gospel that you've given us. I pray for Christmas. I just take a moment, pray for your divine opportunities with family and friends, the weird uncles and the awkward son-in-laws. God, wherever, wherever we find ourselves, even when those most familiar to us, Lord, let us look in their eyes. Let a prophetic spirit come upon us. Let us speak words of life to them and hope and encouragement. And sow the seeds that would ultimately be germinated by your spirit and bring about the transformation we so long to see in our own families. So we bless you, we worship you, and we honor you in Jesus' mighty name. And all of us said together, amen, amen.